Welcome to the Just Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. I'm uh, really excited on this episode to have Dave Valentine. Dave, thanks for doing this. Oh, super excited to be here, Jess. So I was hesitating because I didn't know which company to associate with. Why don't you tell people about the companies you've got right now? Yeah, so uh, I own three different agencies. I own a, a, an SDR firm that books new business meetings on our clients' calendars, a branding agency, a PR firm. I also do some consulting, um, own a cybersecurity and digital asset management at two SaaS products, uh, one that focuses on generating video reviews for every sort of business you could possibly imagine, another that focuses on helping people with their SEO, uh, and then the last one that's a complete outlier but very fun, I own a flight school with my brother uh, just outside of Fort Worth, Texas, and so uh, always staying busy, brother. That's fun. That's exciting. Um, so uh, can you talk about, like, I mean, some of the numbers that I heard right off the bat is that, like, for these different clients across these business, you guys have generated like a billion dollars in revenue for your clients over time. Is that number right? Yeah, it's it's nuts, brother. Um, I started my first grown-up business 10 years ago. Um, and, you know, part of my story was building that up and selling it, but at what cost? Uh, basically, I broke my body and uh, experienced adrenal fatigue and you know, doctor 29 was like, Hey, do you know when you're going to have a heart attack, Dave? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, doc. He's like, we've tested 4,500 people. You're the most stressed out person we've ever tested. You have to change what you're doing. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so that really put me on this path to like figure out how do I, at the time I had a seven figure company and I was like, how do I do this? And how do I scale this in a way that doesn't kill me? Um, and ultimately the way that I figured that out was to sell it. <laughs> and so, um, you know, ever since then, I've been developing processes and programs and essentially frameworks that allow companies to run without me being the guy and really empowering people with great marketing and sales tactics, along with some just, hey, let's implement EOS into your to each company and have the same core values, you know, stuff like that, that just makes sense. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's been um it's been a fun journey. And uh, for me, because my background is in marketing and advertising, that's naturally where I gravitate towards in each and every business. And that's where a lot of my businesses uh, really serve and live is to help other businesses grow and scale. Yeah. Um, let's, let's start with the SDR business. I'm interested in this because I, uh, I was originally going to be a pro snowboarder. And then I decided to get really practical and go to art school instead. Sick. And then, and then uh, everybody's like, hold on, how did Jess end up in investment banking <laughs> out of this? But, um, but I married this cute California girl. We moved down to California so I could surf because she didn't want to live where it was cold. So I figured if we're not snowboarding, we're surfing, right? And I'm like, well, did you get a sales job while I, uh, so sorry, drop out, of, drop out of art school to be an entrepreneur, moved to Southern California. And uh, figure I'll just get a sales job. Well, I'm like, I'll just get a job and we'll build businesses nights a week. I was working on this internet business with a guy from mentor of mine from back home, Canada. And um, I just looked for all these different jobs, but I didn't qualify for anything that would make any money except sales. So I just kept like, how many go back to sales jobs, after, you know, sales job after sales job because nothing else made good money. And then one day I realized like, what if I wasn't so ashamed of sales? Like, what if I actually embraced it? you know, and, yeah. and then, um, by like diving into it is where I started making a lot of money and ended up in investment sales. And when you, you know, when you're able to sell millions of dollars or something, your commission checks can get pretty big. Right. And, uh, then I realized, why don't I own the fund instead of sell for it? <laughs> that, that's everything changed. But, but my point is this, you know, I sold, um, so I was inside rep for, uh, the yellow pages ads, which is dating me 20 years ago. Right. Uh, I sold, I actually sold, I, I was an inside sales rep setting appointments for sales training company. I did, you know, at, even in, in Citigroup, in mergers and acquisitions, like we're reaching out to business owners. We were like 500 million a year and under. We're calling the CEO saying like, hey, we think we've got X number of private equity groups that would bid for you. Like, do you think you want to sell the company? It's, it's basically still SDI work, in, in my opinion, even though it's like a fancier version of it, right? Um, and then later in consulting work, 
I've had SDRs work for me to set, you know, send out books, set up appointments and stuff. So to me, it's something that uh, is people avoid it like the plague, I feel like, because they're so uncomfortable with rejection. And yet working out a system that works on it has has done good things for me in the past. So I'm, it sounds like you've really mastered that game. I'd love to know kind of your approach, especially as you talk about like being able to guarantee people a number of appointments. Like you obviously have confidence in your system. Yeah, I mean, really the, the reality is, right? So in order to guarantee people results, you actually have to ask for things in return. So we always do conditional guarantees on any one of our uh, service-based companies because honestly, like there's so much that is required from the client in order to do well. So one of those things is we say, hey, listen, you have to have an outrageous offer, something that sounds too good to be true, but actually is going to help you increase your value, increase your prices, get more meetings booked, sell more, right? And so... One of the things that we've seen over and over and over again is because we have so much data, we serve so many clients in this space. If you have an outrageous offer, you will book 3.8 times more meetings than anyone else just flat across the board. That's the average. Some clients book exponentially more than that, right? And so you could do volume for days, but if you figure out a great offer, it actually gets you where you want to go. So some examples of some great offers that we've seen talking about California. We had a, a client that was selling these high-end cannabis cake pops. What does everybody do in, in any kind of food, beverage uh, space? They always send free samples. And that's true for cannabis as well. They're like, hey, here's free samples. Like, go try it. It's not a bad job if you're uh, on the front line. You're sitting at the front desk selling things. Cool. It's a little bit different whenever you're trying to get to the managers, the owners, whatever. They're not as interested in trying the free products. So how do you get their attention? So we were working with this company. They didn't want to do an outrageous offer. They were like, hey, we don't want the guarantee because we're not going to do an outrageous offer. We're just going to try and sell into the 380-ish uh, dispensaries in California. There's it's not a huge uh, market, surprisingly. And um, they were booking a meeting or two. They came to me and they said, okay, Dave. Just tell us, like, we want the guarantee. Tell us what we need to do. And so we came up with two ideas, right? So one idea was, well, listen, what's the, what's the thing that uh, most people don't get when they go into a dispensary? They don't know what they want. They know that they, they want us feeling, hey, I want to sleep better. My knee hurts. Do you have anything that can help with that? Hey, I've got some anxiety. Hey, I just want to party and have fun with my friends. Whatever it is, they come in with an intent. What most of the time doesn't happen, though, is they don't have the ability to be like, I want that product. And so one of the things we talked about was, well, you guys have this very aesthetic artisanal product. What if you do a co-branded billboard within a five mile radius if they sign up to do a wholesale account? Because the average, whole, like the low end of a wholesale is 40,000 a year. The high end is 100,000. I was like, look, the billboard is going to cost you four to eight grand. But what are they going to do? They're going to come in and ask for your product instantly. It's a win. So the second thing is this. Cannabis companies don't have events. Because it's kind of like the, it's still like seen in, at least in the States. I don't know if it's different in Canada, Jess. In the States, you know, it's still almost like this dark, seedy sort of environment is how a lot of people perceive it. And so there's not a whole lot of events going on, which is contrary to like a brewery, which is always having like family, friends, all sorts of different events, right? And so I said, what if you took uh, an artisanal chef and they actually made these like cake pops at these locations? And so they went from booking one or two meetings a month to booking 150 meetings in six months. So almost, you know, 35% of the total addressable market there. And so the first thing is like when I do that kind of why we're so good at SDR, we make sure that our clients have an outrageous offer. The second thing that we ask them for is our case studies. And, and the, the framing on the case studies is simple. They don't need to be designed. They don't need to be 20 pages long. We don't need any of that. If you give that to us, that's fine. But we're going to take those case studies and reduce them down into a sentence. We worked with X company. We got Y result in Z time. That's how we do all of them because that's what people care about, right? So many B2B companies are selling the exact same thing, but they're not talking about it in the right way because they're think, they think that they're selling a Mercedes Benz. No, you're not selling a Mercedes Benz. You're selling the relational status that someone gets. That relationship can be to themselves. It could be to other people, but you're selling some status. 
for B2B people in particular, they would leverage SCR. And Jess, you know this well. You're saving people money, you're adding to their bottom line, or you're making people money, top line revenue. So just use that kind of language. And we've found that the closer you are to zero in time, the more valuable a product is, right? So if I say, hey, listen, Jess, I'm going to help you increase your revenue by 30% in 60 days. That's really compelling. If I say, hey, listen, I'm going to help you increase your total revenue by 30% in the next four years, it's less compelling, even if you have some sort of thing around that. So that's kind of like the, the framework. We try and keep all of our emails short and simple. We also do something unique in that we send creative direct mail follow-up. So we'll send pinatas in the mail, come outside of a box, have a shipping label, actually have candy inside. We'll send messages in a bottle and tubular mail. We'll send uh, AI robot handwritten notes. Um, so it looks like they're getting a handwritten card. We want to do things that are going to stand out. One of the things that, one of the reasons why we continue to use email is because people hang out in their email inbox all day. <laughs> and so they're checking that thing over and over and over again, as opposed to the most recent data on LinkedIn, the average user checks in on LinkedIn once a week. People are checking their inbox on average 27 times a day. Just got more eyeballs. Yeah. Um, so when you think about the elements of an outrageous offer, what are those to you? Great question, brother. Yeah. So first you got to figure out what's the main thing, right? Like, am I going to make someone more money? Am I going to give them their time back? Uh, am I going to improve their health? Could be emotional health, spiritual health, could be physical, right? What am I doing? Or am I going to improve their relationships? It's really like, those are the four things that everything breaks down to. And again, you got a high-end luxury product. It's all about relationships. It's about status. Um, so once you understand that that's one of your, you know, one, which one of those four you're doing, one of my favorite things to say is like, what are your objections? Someone comes to you and they're like, I don't want to work with you. Why? Like that is, that's a great, why? Why not? Um, I've, tr I've tried working with other companies like yours. I don't, I haven't hired anybody. Why not? Um, so like, if you see objections as opportunities, like I see them as objections are the coolest thing ever that you can get for your business because it can actually show you what the, cons the uh, consumer wants, what the other businesses want, and then you can speak to that. So instead of steering away from it and just being like, uh, this is what I did in my first agency. I, I own a digital ad agency. Everyone wanted some sort of ROI guarantee, right? They're like, hey, if you could guarantee me leads or revenue or whatever, I would give you more and more money. Like I would just give it to you, feed it to you, feed it to you. So what we started to do was we're like, well, let's just do that. Like let's guarantee return on ad spend essentially. And what are the factors that we need to have to make sure we can guarantee that? You know, so we controlled all the things that we could control. We said, hey, we're going to do the creative. We're going to do the ad placement. You have to give us consistent budget. You can't just be like, well, this month we're going to give you 25 grand, but next month we're going to give you 10. The following month, we're going to give you 50. Steady. We need steady, steady, steady so that we can plan and do stuff. Um, we had to have, if there was an e-commerce store, we're like, we have to have the ability to control uh, free shipping. We want free shipping on ev for everything. Bake the shipping into the price. Like, that's fine, but free shipping is the norm. Amazon has said yes, and everyone's agreeing. And so, anyway, so it's, it's one of those things that when you go into the process of creating an outrageous offer, it's really starting to understand all the players in your space as well. What are they doing? What are they not doing? And I, I'm of the opinion, this is just me, I'd rather have uh, a lot of different clients paying us five to 10 grand a month than have one client that's paying us 100 grand a month. There are people that think the opposite and that's awesome. I'll let them do the hard selling of, hey, let me take you out to dinner and a basketball game and a this and a that. And I'm gonna work you through a process for 12 months to ultimately get the sale. And I'm like, I've done that before. It's brutal. I love the way that I'm doing it now. So when you're creating that outrageous offer, start with the main thing, see objections as opportunities, find a way to do a conditional or unconditional guarantee. Once you package that together and you start to figure out some ways to maneuver through your space, you can try multiple offers uh, and you'll know that it's working because your inbox or your calendar, whatever it is, will be absolutely jam-packed. Yeah, that's awesome. And then for your for your internal team, like 
like, is the client supplying you targets? Are you guys going through LinkedIn Sales Navigator and then having your guys call or how does that work? Yeah, so we we pay an absurd amount for databases every year. Um, and the client usually gives us some ideas of like, hey, we work really well with these industries, these types of companies. This is how small, how big they are. Uh, and then we also like, we'll throw out some experimental targeting as well, right? So we'll say, hey, we can totally target that. Here's how big that total addressable market is. What if we targeted fill in the blank industry, fill in the blank size that's similar or that we could put a little spin on this, right? And sometimes it's it's been interesting, Jess, because we have some clients that are really, really receptive to ideas. They're like, dude, I just want to grow. Just help us. Like, y'all are the experts. You do your thing. And then we have other clients who are like, no, no, I got to have control over everything and I don't want to do this, that, and the other thing. And so, um, yeah, it's... it's uh, the clients that have success are ready to experiment, test. And as I, I will like to say, like, A-B testing means always be testing, right? Um, and so I'm like, look, we could try out this vertical, this targeting set. If it doesn't work, cool, we'll move on to a new one. If it does work, wow, we just expanded your total addressable market pretty sizably. Isn't that cool? So um, I think it's just... Uh, yeah, it's it's part of how we do it, and uh, having the databases, while it's very expensive, is also very necessary when you're uh, doing this sort of outreach at scale. Yeah, and are you guys more on the the email side, or are you or are you like humans cold calling side? It's it's uh, email side. So I we 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 tried the um the cold calling side, Jess. Yeah, what I figured out was if your job is dependent on booking meetings from people that you're calling. You will say whatever you have to say to get someone to show up to a meeting. <laughs> and it's not great for the client. It's not great for the customer. Um, we, you know, we always test everything on ourselves first. And I would get uh, responses like, you know, I took this meeting because so-and-so that was calling me just wouldn't leave me alone. So now they're going to finally leave me alone. And I'm like, dude, you can't win. That's not a... That's not a winnable co sales conversation at all. You know, your, your best out on that one is, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, we'll put you on do not contact list. Like, I'll save you 29 minutes, right? Whatever. Um, and so we stopped doing that. We only do email and uh, snail mail at this point. But there's some pretty fun things that we're doing to leverage video uh, in that as well to kind of make it more dynamic and responsive. That's oh, fun. Um, you know, when you're talking about the pinatas, um, do you know uh, this book, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone? Um, yes. Stu uh, Haneke? Yes. Yeah, very, very well. <laughs> yeah. We had him on this show. He's, oh, he's a character. That's a fantastic. Yeah, I love it, man. <laughs> Sending people a canoe paddle. I mean, there's so many funny examples. Or, Anyways. Yeah, uh, I, I love that book. We've done some crazy stuff in the past for ourselves. Um, and it, it works. It's fun. Yeah. So you talked about that kind of five or 10,000 a month. Talk to me about your, you know, what's your philosophy when it comes to pricing and how, and how do you think about pricing strategy? Yeah, so I, I never want to be the cheapest in the marketplace. Um, some people do. You know, I, I talk to some entrepreneurs and business owners who are like, I want to be a churn and burn sort of company. And then they eventually realize that is not sustainable. That may be a good way to get started when it's just you, but as the company scales, it's impossible to scale profitably. So we always look at, we're always testing around with pricing. We're always trying to find out where we are in the marketplace. Um, and honestly, we're always trying to add more value than what we're charging, right? So we always go, okay, so we have guaranteed minimum number of meetings. Our base tier package is 100 guaranteed meetings for the year, 3,900 bucks a month. Uh, so we look to work with companies that are selling high ticket items, right? So if someone's like, a, we work with a lot can, of SaaS. Go ahead. Sorry, can you say it one more time? It's how much a month for how many meetings a year? Yeah, so it's $3,900 a month for 100 meetings minimum guaranteed for the year. We do have some people that are on that plan that end up booking 250 meetings because they have a really great offer or they've got killer case studies or whatever. That being said... We're always trying to find people that have that high ticket item. So 
SaaS products work for us. If there's someone that's like, hey, our, you know, our SaaS solution is $1,000 or more a month, 12K annually, great. Uh, we work with agencies a lot. So a lot of marketing agencies work with us because they're selling high ticket. Um, and so a lot of times what ends up working out in the value prop is it's like, look, if you're terrible, like if you can't close a door, you're going to accidentally sell five out of the hundred. How much is your average client worth? And for most of the people we talk to, the average client for them is worth 50 grand. So I'm like, look, so if you suck, at sales. You're just terrible. You're going to accidentally close $250,000 off our base tier that's less than 50 grand for the year. They're like, oh, that makes sense. I'm like, if you're decent, you'll sell 10%. That's 500K. If you're okay, you'll sell 15. And if you're good, you'll sell 20 or more. And then they go, oh, that took, like, you're going to add a million dollars in top line to my organization. If I can close 20 of those deals in a year, that's not crazy. That's below what my teams do. You can do it. And they go, okay, cool. Right on, right on. And so then it becomes an easy conversation around like, hey, how do I do the pricing structure? It's really about value add um, and a little bit about understanding. Like we're always talking about what's the next problem that the clients are going to have after they sign on with us. So one of the value adds that we've done is, hey, listen, we have free sales training. Most people don't know how to take cold calls. They have no idea. They've never done it. They've taken referrals. So we take hundreds every month. So my head of sales at Avidel leads that conversation every week, teaches people how to sell these calls, and it's great. Um, and so we're always trying to find new ways to give people access to the, uh, the brain resources that we have as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, uh I'm actually interested in your thought there. So I, again, even when I've been like, you know, right now I'm, I'm founder of a commercial real estate fund. I just consider myself top sales guy. Like, yeah. I feel like my 25 years as a sales guy, I got my first sales job as a 15 year old, right? And been selling something ever since, whether it was the job title said salesman or not. Um, when you think about, in, including owning two different sales training companies, but when you think about sales, um, you're obviously good at it. What? What do you feel like is a guiding principle for you? When, when you are trying to teach people, what are you really trying to impress upon them? Yeah, we, I don't feel like you're selling anything. You're helping a business person make a good decision for their company. And that the best decision may be not to work with your company. Right? That HubSpot every year comes out with data. They survey 100,000 marketer, B2B marketers, B2B sellers, B2B, B2B buyers. And... Um, it's amazing, but their data is so good because they have such a rich data set. One of the things that they found was uh, if, you're, if you're selling, you should be DQing at least 50% of your prospects. Like that's what you should be doing for one reason or another, right? And so to me, it's about consulting. It's free consulting that you're giving up. And if you approach it that way, and I will say that on sales calls, I'm like, look, my job here is not to sell you. My job here is to help you make the best decision for your company. And that may be not to work with me, to not work with anybody, to work with somebody else. And I've got recommendations for you if you need to work with somebody else. If I am a good fit for you, I'll tell you all the things that you need to know. But first, we've got to figure out if you're a good fit for me, and then I'll explain what we do, and you can see if it's a good fit. And people just love that it disarms people immediately. And it, but it has to be genuine. Jess, I mean, you know that. You, you, you do the same, I can tell. And, and if you can disarm people by being authentically yourself, um, then it really makes it easy for people to interact with you back, right? And so I make it really easy for people to just be like, yeah, Dave, I want to talk. Uh, and if they end up being qualified, they have a very high close rate because we're not being pushy. We're actually being very casual. Um, I, if you're watching this, I'm wearing a quarter zip athletic wear. This is what I wear all the time. Like, I don't look any different than this. No matter what I'm doing, this is just how I show up. And um, yeah, I think that as far as how we train people on how to do sales, again, it is that consultative selling. Let me help you figure out if we're a good fit or not. Yeah. Um, uh, when you see... 
this outrageous offer stuff is super interesting to me. I know in other places you've talked about referring to Alex Ramosi and his book, Hundred Million Dollar Offers. Um, another one that it reminds me a ton of is, uh, do you know Perry Marshall's book, 80-20 Sales and Marketing? Yes. Great book. Right? And, yep. you know, so, so many similar things. So, like, for me, I love it when you hear something that works. You know, it's not just some guy. Like, multiple yep. people have used it in multiple industries, and it keeps showing up. Um, when you think about some of the subtle mistakes that people make, they think they're making an outrageous offer, but they're off a few degrees. What do you what do you see some of those more subtle mistakes made? Yeah, there's a few. So so one of them is they do an ROI guarantee. Uh, we've tested that one out so many times, Jess. Yeah, it doesn't work. The the ROI guarantee is just too nebulous for people. You know, they're like, okay, so I get a four x ROI. How do I track that? What does that mean? And it doesn't generate enough new meetings booked. It doesn't generate enough interest. It's too nebulous. So that's one mistake that I see people make. The other one is they'll go too small. So they'll say something like, my outrageous offer is I give you an hour of my time for free. People aren't yeah. stupid. They know what that means, right? Or, they'll, or they're going to do an audit of your uh, website or your AdWords or whatever. And it's like, I know that there are things that I'm missing. So if you want to poke around, Doc, and say, hey, you could be exercising more. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> You're not wrong. Tell me how to get where I want to go. Give me something of real value. And so that's kind of the other direction. They either go like, hey, I'm going to do ROI focused and that's too nebulous. Or they go, hey, I'm going to do something that everybody else does. Free audit, free cons consultation, free whatever. And it's like, what could you give them that's actually legitimately valuable? That's the real question. What would be the thing that would break down the barrier to entry? So some examples of this have been, we worked with a social media agency. What's the biggest problem selling organic social media services? People don't think that it's worth it. That's one, right? Is this actually going to be valuable? Two is, are you going to get my voice? Can you actually represent us well? So we had this social media agency that I was like, hey, listen, what if you just gave people a month of social for free? Like, what if you gave that to them? You mocked it up, you showed them everything because they were doing this already anyways, Jess, right? Like they were already doing this anyways to pitch for new business. I was like, just tell them you're going to give them a month of social for free. It's going to be way more intriguing than let us put together a pitch for you because no one says that. They're like, oh, that's smart. So they started doing it. Their meetings went through the roof. They went from booking two meetings a week to booking 18 to 24 plus. I mean, just nuts. They're going, hey, we are having to crank these out like crazy, but they're closing 60% of the people that they mocked this up for because they do great work. <laughs> so it wasn't hard. And they were closing them for 3,500 to 5,500 a month. So it was kind of like an easy grab for them once they understood the process. The problem was on the front end, they weren't thinking about how they were presenting this properly. And I, I find that so many people do this, man. Like they're like, I was talking with an, uh, a company that does consulting practices and they do like software development, stuff like that. And I was like, so walk me through your process. How do you guys do this? They're like, well, first thing we do, we do an eight week project where we assess over the eight weeks what they have. And they work with huge corporations like McDonald's, uh, Wendy's. Uh, AT&T, like the physical store locations. They're working with massive companies. And I'm like, okay, so how much is that? And they're like, 50 grand. We assess the problem. We go through it. I was like, what happens at the end of eight weeks if they're not satisfied? Oh, well, we work for free until they are. What happens if four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks later, they're still not satisfied with your proposed solutions? Oh, well, we give them their money back. Wait a minute. Hang on. Why don't you say we have a money back guarantee on our initial solutions project? And they're like, oh, we've never thought about it. You know, it's so like for a lot of people, it's simply looking at what would you do right now anyways? Like if you had this worst case scenario, how would you handle it? And most people are compassionate and open-handed and sincere. And, and it's like, yeah, just put that out in marketing speak and you have a very viable off offer. And so that's the third one is that people just kind of like overlook what they're already naturally doing and they don't see it as an offer. and the reality of it is the great offer. They just need to start to package it the right way and communicate it. So those are the three big mistakes that people are making when it comes to offers that I see on a regular basis. 
No, that's great. Um, so I think one of the other things that I was looking forward to talking to you about is um, I've become a bigger and bigger fan of EOS over time. And um, specifically that you've, you know, you've done this in multiple businesses uh, and specifically that mindset you mentioned earlier on the, you know, it's not all Dave's time. <laughs> like Dave isn't the guy that's needed for everything. Um, can you talk about some of your principles of, of how you've approached that and, and why you think it's worked for you? Yeah. The entrepreneurial operating system is so helpful for so many reasons. One, I think it's the most humane way to run a company because it allows for feedback between employees and their supervisors and supervisors and their employees on a quarterly basis. It outlines what success is with real hard metrics, not feel good. So we can all see as an organization or as individuals, am I on track or off track for what I'm supposed to be doing? The other thing that it does is it allows us to really be value driven. So we have six core values. Those core values permeate everything that we do. It's how we hire, promote, and fire people. And so you can have really, really, everybody's had those work experiences where you're working with somebody that's extremely talented and they're an asshole. <laughs> and it's like, there is something to be said for finding people that are really great professionals that are also nice to be around. You know, we spend so many hours working together, even virtually, you're still spending a lot of time with these people. So if you're going to be spending time with them, there has to be a unifying culture fit. What we found really fascinating, Jess, is that these the six core values that we have, it permeates both political parties in the United States. Like, there are people that have all of them. Um, there are people that we can get along with everyone. We have very diverse uh, teams. Very diverse in every way possible. And EOS allows us to stay on track and also keeps my sanity. So we have a, a scorecard. Go ahead, Jess. Well, no, no. Finish your thought and then I have a question. We have a scorecard that we do at the beginning of uh, every week. It goes before our level 10 meeting is what they're called for the leadership teams of each different company. There are also L10 meetings for each department at the bigger companies as well. And in the leadership ones, I get specific numbers and metrics so that, and they just get emailed to me, but I can see the health of every company at a glance. Uh, it happens every week. I don't have to wonder, is that company doing okay financially? How's the staff doing? Like, what's the turnover? Like, how many new clients have we signed? Like, there's all this data that I have, and it allows me to know where to put my time and energy, really. Um, and so EOS is, is powerful for so, so many reasons. Um, but one of them is I, I get to have these regular, uh, regular cadence of making sure that the business health is high. Yeah. So I guess one question I have for you there is thinking about people who, you know, everybody comes to life with so many preconceptions about how things should be. Right. And, no, um, what are you talking about? <laughs> and so, uh, do you have any advice for people who are like, you know, when the visionary realizes like, oh, I really just want to be the visionary. I want to quit doing all those things in the business. But then there's people from the business that have these opinions of like, well, I mean, is like where they're like helping people get used to like the visionary is not going to show up and do all that stuff anymore. Like things are changing. They're just going to go over and do these visionary things and and not those like sit at a desk and do the same thing over and over things anymore. Because there's finally enough money in the business to hire people to do that. And <laughs> do you have any thought about some of that transition? Yeah. Um, so it's always good to have uh, to flush the system every now and again based off people's expectations, right? And so sometimes some people, and I, I love this language, need to graduate on to another job opportunity because they were used to having you know, uh, Darshan with the guru, the guy. And now they don't get that. They don't have the same access. And that's okay. Let them go. Uh, bring in people that are used to, that are more independent, that are used to working without the, the owner founder. Um, at the same time, they're going to be people that just need to be sold on the idea. They need to be sold on the fact that, look, you 
think that it's great for me to be in these calls. You think that it's great for me to be at my desk doing these tasks because you haven't seen anything different. And I'm telling you, the more that you let me go be the hermit in the woods in my mind palace, the faster we're going to grow, the easier I'm going to make your job, the more that we're... And if you sell it to people, most people get on board. They're like, cool, let's go. Like, that sounds great. It's worth a shot. Let's give it a go. You know, Jess is a nice guy. Dave's a nice dude, whatever that is, right? Um, and so I think it's a little bit of, hey, some people are just going to leave. Some people need to be sold. Some people won't even care. Um, but I, I also think I'm a huge believer in the employees that helped you go from zero employees to 10 employees will not be the same people for the most part. This is a generalization. This is not hard firm law. For the most part, they're not going to be the people that get you to 50 employees and the people that get you to 50 employees are not going to be the ones that get you to 250. There's just different stages of the game and every stage requires different players to play different roles. Yeah, it's funny that you come from the agency space and are bringing this up. Like, I'm thinking specifically of two different agency clients that we've had in the past and it's like the, the business starts growing from, you know, scraping the ball on the barrel to millions and and there's a lot of staff that have felt very entitled to how things used to be and it's it's been a real tough tough transition and one of them has been able to make it and the other one unfortunately had had a lot of turnover to get people who were interested in coming to be employees saying like we didn't take the risk you didn't have equity you were never a partner you were always an employee things have changed you know and it can be a tough transition. Yeah, I think that there, it's interesting. Whenever you're um, building your business, if you want to grow at large, you need to tell your people ahead of time. Hey, guys, we're not. One of my favorite things to say to every company is it's not going to be this way forever. And most people think that we're only saying that towards the good side. I'm saying like one of my favorite things to remind, especially leaders of at different companies, like, look, we're not always going to be this small. So enjoy getting to know your staff right now because you're not going to have the same level of interactions. And that's just like a, a shift for them. Um, you know, or that are like, it's not just like, hey, I know it's hard right now. It's not always going to be this way. It's like, no, it's, it's good. And it's just going to change because life changes. So we, we baked it into all of our companies just that like, look, man, turnover is natural. Change happens every week. If you don't like change, we're, we always have a startup mindset even when our companies are very established. We love to be nimble. Man, we got to be nimble. Um, and I think that it's one of the things that Malcolm Gladwell highlighted so well in his book, David and Goliath, was talking about, hey, you have to remain small, nimble, agile, and have the ability to do things that other bigger corporations just can't do, where they would blow us out of the water with ad budget and creative and whatever, we can move faster than they can. So let's make sure and be that way. Um, so I think that you can bake it into your company culture to say like, it's not always going to be this way. And that's good. That's not just okay. That's great. Yeah. How big is your team across the different companies approximately? I think we had three new people start today for Avidel. So I think our head count is at 97. Okay. Yeah. Um, where do you feel like in that kind of zero to a hundred staff, where do you feel like some of the more natural breakpoints are where things start to get run differently? Fins on your industry. Uh, but there's definitely a felt difference between zero and five, uh, 10 and 20. Uh, once you get to like 20 employees, you, you're not going to have a personal relationship with anybody, everyone anymore. Um, you can kind of get to, you can still know everybody and kind of like, know their names and what they do and all that stuff, but it's just not going to be the same depth of relationship. I also think there's a difference in, uh, as a leader, how you show up to staff. So like I, I have very transparent conversations with my leaders, less so with my frontline staff, uh, not because they aren't smart, not because they couldn't handle it, not, it's just not appropriate anymore. Um, as you get to uh, kind of the next marker is 50, the, the thing that I've seen that's really interesting, Jess, you may have seen this too in, in all of your experiences. There's this weird limbo space, not at headcount, although there's a headcount that could be associated with it, but I've seen it multiple times 
when people get between three and five million revenue, they're in this weird limbo space. And the space is they need to pay their staff more. They need to go hire higher caliber talents, but they don't have the funds to do so. And so you have to find the funds to get it done. So you may have 25 staff and be doing three to five million. You may have 15, you may have 30. I don't, you may have 50. Um, nevertheless, that three to five million range is a pivotal moment. It's similar to the $10 million spot. When you get to eight figures officially, there's a weird thing that happens at eight figures too, um, where you have similar needs. And then once you get to 50, in the States in particular, everything becomes more complex and compliance. And so you really are encouraged, I feel, to grow aggressively at 50 employees. You're like, okay, we don't want to be at 55 employees. We don't want to be at 51 employees. We want to be at like 80 employees to make this worth it. So we really have to crank up, you know, referral revenue, what have you, because we really have to hit those markers. So, um, yeah, I think uh, zero to five, that's a weird jump. 10's weird from the 5, 20, and then 50. And then, um, you know, after that, it's it's all kind of uh, nebulous. And probably until you get to about 200, 250, and you have to change up operating systems, EOS really doesn't work uh, once you get up to 200 to 250 employees. So at that point, you'll have a big operational shakeup, which will be uh, interesting. Yeah. So <clears throat> last week we had... Um... Fred Vicola on the show, the CEO of Kaseya. And he took over Kaseya at like maybe 120 million in revenue. And now they're uh, $120 million valuation. Now they're 20 billion. And um, like eight years or something incredible. Like that, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I was asking him, like, in your mind, <clears throat> what's the big, what's the big difference of like getting from the 200 million over the billion number? And he said, He's like, obviously, somebody has got great product market fit at the point they're doing 100 million a year. He's like, what I often tell them is like, you guys need to, you, you've got this factory for whatever it is you do that's got the product market fit is why you're, you've got up to 100 or 200 million. He's like, what I find they often need is what he calls a, re a revenue acquisition factory. He's like, you got the factory for your stuff and that's going well. That's how come you got to 100 or 200 million. And uh, what you don't have is as systematic and reliable of a program that's not dependent on rainmakers, that is, you know, where you don't have to have the world's best salesperson to land the account, like you can have just somebody good. And he says that he felt like that's something that they, you know, it's a concept that, that folks at that level could embrace. And so I've been thinking about this, you know, probably all of us at any level could embrace that idea of do we have a revenue acquisition factory? And I feel like that's where you obviously spent so much of your career. Um, when you when you think about this idea of, you know, what Fred calls a revenue acquisition factory, I love you know, outrageous off of what I love that name by the way. Yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah, right? That's great. Um, uh, you know, to me, it sounds like some elements for you would be outrageous. You know, outrageous offer, a great system for for the lead gen of getting in front of people who actually want to talk to you about that outrageous offer. What what are the other elements that would be in your mind for maybe a, an organization? Not at that level yet. You gotta have clarity in your marketing pieces. Like I, website is huge. I go into uh, in my consulting work. I work with a number of clients. Some of them are most of them are agency owners. Some of them uh, own companies that do mural paintings. You know, like they're the spectrum's huge. What's interesting is so many people, especially in the service business, do not have a clear website. What do you do? Well, we do marketing services. Great. What does that mean? We do video and we do social and I do paid ads and I do SEO. And I'm like, great, I have no idea how to interact with you. And the reason why I know that this is true, Jess, is that that was my problem for the first three or four years of my agency. I had a website that looked like every other agency. Beautifully designed. It had these very warm, flowery language that just, you know, uh, we don't just think different. We are different. Whatever, right? Like, it's, it's the same BS that everyone puts out. And the reality is, it's like, most people just want to get what's the outcome. Have that be in the headline of the site. What is the result that I'm going to experience from this? How can I get that? So I would say the outreach is important. Your website's key. If you're doing any sort of website at all, it has to be generating leads for you somehow. So like, how are you doing that? 
Yeah. Okay. This is very timely. I, <laughs> I got to get some advice. So we're like literally working on the website today for our company, Grace Hook Networks. And, um, you know, I think I'd be interested in your thought. Like for us, <clears throat> it's really this idea of, hey, if you're CEO of some investment fund or tech company or something, or, or you just some senior person trying to land big enterprise accounts that are worth like at least a million bucks each or something, right? We charge people like, we're trying to add some extra services. So I'm sure these prices will go up. But right now we're charging them like eight grand a month. You know, we yeah. tell them it's like two to three years, you know, but you, it, the contract renews annually. You don't have to do all three years, but like two to three years is really what you need to get like compound interest out of a podcast show, right? Yeah. And like the sales pitch is basically just me. Where I'm like, hey, listen, <laughs> my show got me like, family offices worth hundreds of millions of dollars who have donated to our charity Child Rescue. It helped me land um, clients for like, it helped me land Google and Intel and a big $16 billion bank. And it helped me land all these clients. Um, it helped me get millionaires to be investors in our commercial real estate fund. And the team that built my show could build you a show. And we'll stack it full of a bunch of high profile people. And then in between them, we'll put on some of your, your uh, high profile, high probability prospects, you know, we'll put some of these hard to reach decision makers on your show. So you've got a friend, you've got an hour to make friends with them. And if you're not like a slimy sales guy and you actually make friends, like <laughs> some percentage of them over the year will end up closing, right? Like in a way, it's almost, it's almost like uh, my one client called it a business development lapped in, wrapped in content marketing, right? Yeah. Yep. Where, Cause like, then we take that episode, cut all these clips out of it. It turns into like, five different clips we post across five different social media forums, like 1200 social media posts a year, plus the podcast going out. Right. So it's like, raise your credibility by every week being seen with all these high profile people on your LinkedIn on their LinkedIn, right? Because you get access to 52 people's social medias a year because they'll promote their own episode, right? So my question for you is like, I feel like the the real dollars and cents logic of why to do this is we're going to introduce you to a whole bunch of people that could spend a million bucks a year with your company. If you spend a hundred grand on me, if you land one or two of those, you're 10 or 20 times your money, right? But then I end up getting sent to uh, a bunch of like marketing departments who end up being way more interested in like the credibility of like, hey, consistent presence. Our brand now gets associated with these high profile people. And like the sales thing is an afterthought. Do I like, do I have two different approaches depending if I'm talking to different people? Do I just pick one and double down hard. What, what would be your, your expert advice? Yeah, I think it depends on who you want to go after, right? So like if you're going after people, like you said, that are trying to do a million dollars plus per client they engage with, uh, and they keep saying, hey, listen, let's send you over to marketing. And marketing is like, oh, this is amazing. This is great. The brand winning. Fantastic. Like roll with that. That's an easier metric for you to hit anyways. Um, and I'm sure that you're teaching people how to derivatize the content or maybe you're doing it for them. Yeah, and we do it for me. Yeah, the whole pitch is like, don't do anything but show up for an hour and make a new friend once a week. We do it. Yeah, so else. A, that's a great value prop. B, if the marketing departments love it and they've got the budget, then that's easy. You know, it's it's done for them content creation. They love that. They're going to eat. Of course, that just made their job easier, right? That makes all their metrics go up and to the right. And so it's like, Man, I think that if it were me and I were you, when I was reaching out to people that were marketing focused, I'd hit those pieces. If I was reaching out to a COO or CFO, you know, a, a VP of sales or something, I'd talk about the revenue potential. Um, and there may be some ways for you to, to leverage some case studies, honestly, Jess, that may improve that engagement even more when you're like, look, we worked with this client, you know, again, my formula, we worked with X client got Y result and Z time. It's like, you know, if you said we had this one client in the first six months, they closed $4 million in business because of people that they had on their, the podcast that we helped them produce. Damn. Okay. Well now I want to talk about that more. See, that is one thing that I do feel like sets us apart is there's a bunch of other services that can get you guests for your podcast. Right. And like editing a podcast right. is, not that, is not that hard. People can get sure. that done way cheaper. Right. What I feel like we haven't seen anybody else in the market, and maybe you have, but we, do, we don't think we've seen anybody else in the market that's willing to guarantee you multimillionaire guests or willing to guarantee you senior execs from giant companies. Like, and we've even called because we thought, ah, maybe we can outsource this to one of those other firms, right? 
And we're like, okay, but like it would have to, like every guest, 52 a year would need to be like of this quality. Like all of a sudden here we hear all this backpedaling. Well, I mean, we could, we could try, but we sure couldn't, uh, we sure, I mean, like there would be some of those people hopefully during the year, Jess, but I just really don't. And when we're like, no, we'll give you a guarantee every single episode, every week of the year. That's where I feel like our, that's where I feel like our like hard to compete with us is. Yeah. But I also think, I also think too, just like you're the hard to compete with you space too is you're doing it at a price. 8K a month is really, really reasonable. It just is like, it's reasonable for even a company that's doing five to 10 million a year revenue. They would still look at that and go, that's a really good investment. Um, it's funny, your model that you're using, it's a model that I used in the first podcast that I ever hosted mm. six years ago. And I was just having people on my podcast as guests. And it was like in the infancy of podcasting, right? And I brought them on as prospects. I was like, dude, I want to work with that guy. I want to work with that woman. I want to work with that brand. And so I'd have them on. I'd have this beautiful conversation just like we're having right now. And then I'd be like, hey, man, like uh, I've been taking a look at your social media advertising. I have some ideas for you. Can I share some of those ideas? They've already talked with me. I've They've gotten emails from me before. And now I'm just like, hey, I just I have an idea. Everyone wants to hear an idea about their brand. Like no one's like, no, you know, and it has to be good and it can't be BS. It's got to be real. And then if you go in and you give them something that's a value, it was amazing how many times they're like, well, damn, like, let's, what does it look like to engage? So I think well, we've got see, something that's really why, smart. This is part of why I think we've, we like, our, our sales have been going really well. Like, I don't know if I should share this or not, but like our closing rate's like over 90% right now. Okay. Um, and maybe it's just because we're not, talking to more people. If we talk to more people, our closing rate would go down. But, um, but like, I think it's a bunch of like either the CEO or some senior executive who's like, I don't want to be a salesman anymore. And it's like this way they like, they have this organic introduction to see if there's an authentic connection. And then the only task is like, stay in touch. Like, is is you know, like hunting. It's like, I call it farming a friendship. Like you're going to plant like 52 seeds a year. You don't need them to all close. So there's no like desperation or neediness. Like you just like, the yeah. trick is like become genuine friends and genuine friendships turn into genuine referrals or turn into a client or something. Some of them will over a year and you don't have any anxiety because you're going to use 52 times this year. You don't need them all, right? So it's just like, call it's like the benefit of going to a high level business conference, but you just stay at home on Zoom. Well, it's not Zoom, but you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I, I understand the value is so high. And I think that it, it's interesting to me that you're getting some people, well, a lot of people are like, hey, I just care about the brand. Like, I'm just getting some brand love. That's what I really care about. That's fascinating to me. Um, but I think it speaks to what people care about, right? Like, if you were talking to me, I'd be like, dude, tell me how fast I can close deals. You know, give me that, give me that story. Because I'm super into that. That's where my brain goes to all the time. Like, how fast can yeah. I pay this all back? Um, well, and maybe that's what we need to do is, Maybe we need to run experiments where we have some more marketing focused language and we, we go after marketing functions and then we have some more sales focused functions. And we go after the CEOs and the guys who are genuinely responsible for that, that revenue number. Yeah. And, it, and see which responds better. Yeah. You know, one of the things that we have found too, Jess, that's been really interesting for my PR firm that books a lot of people on podcasts Yeah, is we, we sell to them a lot on, um, Hey, listen, when when we have a client that goes and is a guest on a podcast, it's not just about throwing out an offer at the end and getting people to respond. It's about using that podcast material as leverage to close a deal. And so I can't say the name of this technology company. There is a technology company that uh, Avidel took a meeting with two weeks ago. They're someone that everyone knows. Huge company. And there were two people that were talking to our head of sales and they wanted to do a bigger package. And uh, a third person like came into the room and they didn't know that they could be heard. But they said to the other people that were on the call with, with our head of sales, hey, I checked out the, uh, this company, Avidel. Their CEO is on a bunch of podcasts. They're legit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, and, that's a... It's go powerful, ahead, man. You know what I mean? Like, 
I, when I think about that and I think about what, you know, they, they ended up signing a deal for 9400 bucks a month. So when I think about that, I'm like, okay, all of the time that I've spent on podcasts and all the time we spent paying to get me booked, all that was totally worth it, you know, because we just, and that's not the first time it happens over and over and over again that the authority to the point of the marketing team was making that it gives the sales team and the brand as a whole is so potent. Well, it is like, I will say that part goes really well when I'm like, you know, I just had the guy who grew Lululemon from zero to 47 billion on the show. I had the woman from BlackRock, Samara Cohen, who manages six trillion for them. I had Danny Glover. I had, you know, so like their ability to believe I could get access to high profile people for them isn't, that doesn't feel like as big a risk, I think. Right. Um, and uh, I guess I just don't know what my outrageous offer should be. I, w I mean, I wonder if your outrageous offer is instead of talking about podcasts, talking about putting you in front of 52 of the most, you know, 52 high net worth individuals at companies that you would love to have as your clients. Guaranteed. Access. It is, yeah. that, that is what I am guaranteeing. I'm guaranteeing them access. Yeah. I, I think that's huge and guaranteed then, access to 52 new high profile people here and, and bonus right. bonus we're going to give you content for days yeah you know so like that's huge so yeah right so this is great that i just got his little free consulting session but for everybody <laughs> listening for everybody listening who's trying to translate this to their business yeah you know let's 99.9 percent .9 of people listening are probably not in that we'll build you a podcast business so thinking about the conversation we just went through, if they need to ask themselves questions of like, okay, how do I do this process myself? How do I take what I learned from Dave? Um, uh, a, where can they call you if they want to hire you? And B, <laughs> if they're working on it themselves, what, what questions should they ask them? Yeah, so um, so A, if, if you want to check out some stuff on how to create an outrageous offer, uh, you can go to davevalentine.co forward slash OO for outrageous offer. I actually put together a free e-course um, that shows you the framework for how to do it. It takes about 45 minutes to go through it. Really easy, uh, but it's helpful information. It's good stuff. It'll help you take you through the process. Um, you can reach out to me through the website there if you want to contact me that way. Uh, and yeah, as far as like other places where you can find me, I'm on social media. You can find a lot of content where I actually go through a lot of different industries and just go, hey, what would I do if I ran a plumbing company? How would I do a remote automotive company? Like we had this guy reach out to me on TikTok. And he was like, dude, I have a, uh, you know, a mobile automotive repair company. What would you do? Your outrageous offer. And I gave him some idea. Um, so I do all sorts of random down, like down the rabbit hole sort of ideas. The other thing that I'd say is like, again, it really goes back to what are the objections that you're getting? What are the what are the things that you're hearing that are surprising? Like, don't just feel like, ooh, that because I love that you brought that up, Jess. You're like, and then you get this thing from the marketing departments and they don't care about the sales. They just care about the authority and the branding and the content. It's like, yeah, that let's listen to people. Like, let's believe them when they tell us things instead of being like, oh, that's just fascinating. Let's let's really believe them. And so I think that if you're going through this process, uh, that e-course will be of aid to you. But in addition, like Go see what other people are doing. I love to learn from AT&T giving out free iPhone 14s to everybody that wants to switch. I love to learn from Costco putting uh, whole rotisserie chickens at the very back of their gigantic stores for $4.99. What do they do? They put the wine, the booze, the, um, the packaged goods right next to it because it's their high margin products. Like, of course that works. Of course, of course. So like, can you take cues from other people that are doing this really well? And what can you do? Um, and so, yeah, I think that that uh, overall, just in general, those are going to be helpful resources. to people. Well, I'm thinking about the other thing that you said, too. Like, um, you know, I was advising a guy last week, 50 million, their home builders build my like $50 million worth of homes right now. And thinking about that thing of like, what would you do for people if things weren't going right? And like thinking of all these solutions and, and then just pulling them to the front of the process of telling them in the beginning. 
saying like and, and just calling it a guarantee because it's what you would do anyways yeah i think that it's it's so interesting so many people are they already have outrageous offers baked into their culture into how they run their like bows I, I told this story a few times but it's been a while since i told it years ago now i when bluetooth was new <laughs> I got Bose Bluetooth headset, but it like had like a neck collar or something. And I would go running and I would run. This is not an exaggeration or a knock on Bose because how they handled it was great. I would run like 50 miles in like total over a course of time. And they would crap out. They would just like die. And so I hit up Bose and Bose was like, no problem. They didn't ask for the one that I had back. They just sent me a new pair and it was like 300 bucks or something like it wasn't cheap. And uh, same thing happened again. And I was like, OK, hey, guys, do you have anything else? They're like, we'll send you another pair. And I'm like, guys, I, I feel like this is going to consistently be a problem. You know, I'm open to another solution. Do You guys have anything else? They're like, uh, well, we don't have anything now, but we're building something new. So what we'll do is we'll give you some new ones whenever they do come out. But here's. <laughs> In the interim, the thing that was interesting to me, though, was just is like, I, I'm like that made it easy for me to engage with them. And I have nothing but positive things to say about Bose. I buy their products still because they spent some serious cash just to make my purchase be OK. And those are companies that we want to be, too. So, like, again, it's just one of those things that if you can highlight some of that stuff that you already do naturally. Yeah, a lot of times you're going to find a great offer hidden. That's great. Well, thanks again for making time for this. Dude, this was so much fun, Jess. I really appreciate it, brother.